In this episode of the St. Philip Institute podcast, we're going to continue looking at the sacrament of baptism. In particular, we're going to focus on the way the New Testament shows us what baptism is about, how it's linked to salvation history, and how baptism is both about death and life. Enjoy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hi, welcome back to the St. Philip Institute podcast. My name is Luke Arredondo, and I'm the Director of Faith Formation here at the St. Philip Institute. Um, And in this episode, we're going to be continuing with our discussion of baptism. We're celebrating a year of the Sacrament of Baptism here in our diocese. And uh, in the last episode, we discussed some Old Testament Um, images that are associated with baptism, Um, and now I want to look at the New Testament. So I I think a lot of Christians, when there's discussions or questions about baptism, rightfully turn to the New Testament. It's not like that's a bad idea to like, oh, let's let's look at the New Testament. Obviously, that's a good idea, Um, but there is a, a very you know, important link between the Old and the New Testament um, for understanding anything in Christianity, um, and that is no less true with baptism than it is with um, other mysteries of our faith. Um, so we, we've done that, sort of laid a little bit of groundwork um, with the discussion at the Old Testament, and I want to look now at the New Testament. Um, and right at the beginning of the Gospels, you see Jesus's baptism um, taking place, and even before Jesus' baptism, they have the ministry of John the Baptist. So we're going to start with first discussing a little bit about John the Baptist's ministry um, and, and the way that he functions um, with respect to baptism, and then look, um, I think, a fair bit at Jesus' baptism to see sort of what's going on and sort of how these things are tied together. So um, in Matthew chapter 3, Mark chapter 1, and Luke chapter 3, you see different accounts of John the Baptist, and they all present him as a figure um, who is very much in the line of prophets. So you see sort of the last prophet, um, and he's preparing the way for the Messiah. And that's why his dress is described um, as it is, the the clothes that he wears. Um, And his diet shows him to be uh, very, very uh, faithful to the Torah, uh, to the law, and, and living obviously a very austere spiritual life. Um, and his ministry uh, of baptism in the Gospels is closely connected to the work of Jesus. John, the Baptist, is calling Israel to repentance, and he's offering a ritual of baptism. And Jesus is going to also call people to repentance, and he's going to encourage baptism. Uh, but John is sort of doing this in a preparatory way. Now, it's interesting also that when John is doing his baptismal ministry, he's doing this in the Jordan. Um, remember, for the Israelites, the Jordan is the river by which they entered into the Promised Land. Um, but John's baptism, of course, very very important, is just a water baptism. It's not a sacrament, it's a purification ritual. Um, 
But his ministry of baptism in the Jordan in a particular way points forward and prepares the way for Jesus. But John tells everybody that there is someone coming after him um, who will baptize not just with water, but with water and the Holy Spirit. And that link between water and spirit should point an alert reader, especially an alert Jew, um, to creation, where we have the presence of the water and the spirit. Um, and the link with the promised land of Jordan, uh, the, the, the Jordan River and the, and the entrance into the promised land would also be sort of like ringing as, as an echo of like, I, what, this seems familiar. And this is one of the things that I think is so important for us to really read the New Testament well, is to have a, at least a basic knowledge of the Old Testament. So if you're reading the Gospels and you're familiar with at least the broad story of the Old Testament, you'll see a lot of the things that we just talked about in the, in the, the previous episode, God's work of liberation, be, which was accomplished through the waters of the Red Sea, and then reenacted through the crossing of the Jordan, the importance of the cleansing power of water, the importance of repentance, the, rep- the importance of worship. All of these things are present in John's ministry, John the Baptist's ministry, but they're all just pointing forward to the one who would come after him, right, who is Jesus. So shortly after, in uh, the, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew chapter 3, Mark 1, and Luke 3, still the same chapter as John the Baptist, you have Jesus's uh, ministry, because, because, of course, Jesus approaches John the Baptist to uh, be baptized, and John, recognizing who he is, you know, doesn't want to baptize him, um, he says, you know, that, that, like, why would I baptize you? Uh, but Jesus still wants to submit to that baptism anyway. Um, and this is, this is important. The Catechism says that by Jesus receiving the baptism at the hands of John, it is an example of his self-emptying and of his humility. Jesus became a man for us, and he would later die on the cross for our sins. He identifies himself with us sinners— even to the point of receiving a baptism of repentance, which he does not need, at the hands of John the Baptist. But there's some stuff about John's, or rather Jesus's baptism, that's really important for us to to remember, and that the original audience, I think, would have seen, or at least you hope they they would notice, right? First of all, Jesus, in many ways, his entire life is recapitulating the salvation history of the Israelites. So you recall he's born and then has to flee with his parents to Egypt. So he's in Egypt sort of fleeing. Um, he's, he's, he's not safe, and he's in Egypt hiding out from a powerful dictator who's trying to kill him, right? Who's trying to kill all these children. Uh, after a time, he leaves Egypt, and then he crosses the Jordan to enter the Promised Land. This, if you were reading, especially it's really, really clear in, in Matthew's gospel, would, would just send you, you know, to the Old Testament. Like, this is the story of Israel. They were in Exodus, you know, they, they were uh, in Egypt rather than through the Exodus. They crossed the Jordan, they go into the Promised Land, and here is Jesus doing all the same things. He is recapitulating their story. The description of the Spirit descending over the waters after Jesus comes out from his baptism should invoke a memory of creation and also the story of the flood, um, because there's the Spirit hovering over the water at creation and the dove hovering over after the flood. And then the critical moment there is the revelation of the Trinity. We have the voice of the Father 
Jesus is declared to be his son, and we have the Spirit present in the form of a dove. And Jesus, uh, in baptism, right, shares with us that same divine life of the Trinity. So we're washed of sin, and we're infused with the life of the Trinity, which is present at his baptism. So Jesus receives this baptism as an example for us, as a model of humility, but he's also in his person recapitulating the story of salvation of the Israelites. Um, So he is taking on that story personally. And of course, he's, he's doing this not just like in a pretend sort of way. I mean, he is God and he became man. He's willing to go to extreme depths to identify himself with us sinners, and he does this um, in, in a particular way um, through his baptism. Now, throughout the New Testament, there are various different dimensions of baptism that are discussed, and we, you know, we're not really going to be able to go through all of them, um, but, but one of the things that I want to look at real, real quickly here is the necessity of baptism. And this you can see in John's uh, discussion, John's depiction, or account, rather, of Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus. So this is in John chapter 3. I'm going to go here. It starts in verse 3. So John 3, 3 through 5. Well, I'll back up a little bit and start at, at, at verse 1. So now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And it continues on a little bit more, but but this discussion with Nicodemus highlights the necessity of baptism and baptism as a rebirth. One of the things that's really cool, and I've, I've shared this when, when we talked about the Eucharist last year for our year of the Eucharist, if you look at any of the sacraments um, in the, the catechism, the way the catechism describes each sacrament, Many of them, I'm not sure if it's, if it's present for all seven, but many of them have a section where it says, what is this sacrament called? And there's different ways to, dis- to describe each sacrament. This rebirth that Jesus is referring to when he talks to Nicodemus um, is one of the, the central ways that we can identify baptism. In other words, that baptism is the sacrament of rebirth. Um, but, you know, of course, Nicodemus does, doesn't seem to understand what's going on. Um, one of the things that's important is that the, the term that, that Jesus uses for anew um, could also be interpreted as a birth from above, uh, but Nicodemus misses this, and so Jesus has to correct him and say, we need to be born of the water of water and spirit to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus, in his earthly ministry, has already inaugurated the kingdom of God, and he is calling us into it. He is allowing us entrance into it, and we receive um, our entrance into that kingdom, right, through baptism. Um, So the Catechism of the Catholic Church and the Council of Trent and the Second Vatican Council all actually link this discussion with Nicodemus to the sacrament of baptism. 
Um, Jesus is talking to a well-educated Jew who should have some sense of some of the Old Testament allusions to baptism that we that we talked about in our first episode, um, but he somehow seems to miss that, um, and so he has to clarify what what he's trying to say. In the beginning of the church, baptism was an urgent task for the disciples. In fact, John's Gospel records that Jesus and the disciples immediately began a ministry of baptism. You see this in, in John chapter three, verse twenty-two. After this, this encounter with Nicodemus, Jesus and his disciples went into the land of Judea. There he remained with them and baptized. And John was also baptizing um, nearby. Um, so baptism is a critical, uh, critical entry into the church. Um, if, if you look into the, the way the catechism describes it, um, it, it uses the language, and it's, it's pull, the, the catechism pulls the language straight from the Second Vatican Council, that we know of no other way for salvation than through baptism. Of course, God can operate outside of the sacraments, but the way that we can know that he is operating, um, you know, the, the, the way to have, to have some certainty about it is for people to be baptized. Um, so there's this, actually, this interesting thing where for, for Jews, an entry into the covenant people of God uh, happened through circumcision. Um, baptism becomes, like circumcision, the way that we enter into a covenant relationship with God in the new and eternal covenant. Um, so Jesus, when he's talking to Nicodemus, says that you have to be reborn of water and spirit, and in his ministry, he goes and performs baptisms, but he also commands, at the end of his life, the, the disciples to go into all nations, baptizing all. Um, and so baptism becomes not just something Jesus says is important and necessary, but a command for the apostles to continue out um, you know, on his behalf. Um, so just as in Judaism, right, circumcision is not just a social thing, but it, it points to a divine reality, so too for us, baptism truly brings us into a relationship with God as an adopted son or daughter. And Jesus was very clear about the importance and the necessity of this sacrament. So something that's, I think, really important for us to understand, um, you know, in today's, um, today's circumstances, is that baptism's not just like a ritual to go through. Uh, it's not just sort of like a social ceremony that you have because you want to have a nice party and take some pictures, and it's like a cutesy sort of thing to do. It actually is tied up with our entrance into the covenant people of God. So it's a very, very big deal. That's why the church says that we should baptize our children as soon as we can, um, and why we offer baptism to just essentially anybody, right? Baptism is something that is really, really critical. This is a quote from um, St. Hippolytus in the, in the second century. He said, "'The children shall be baptized first. All of the children who can answer for themselves, let them answer. But if there are any children who cannot answer for themselves, let their parents answer for them or someone else from their family.'" And this is very similar to the way that circumcision functioned, right? I mean, you did not have to be old enough to understand circumcision to be circumcised and brought into the kingdom, um, into the covenant people of God in the Old Testament. It's a similar function for um, baptism. We, we also have very good evidence in the New Testament itself that baptism was offered to infants, was offered to children, um, and not merely for adults. It's, at the same time, it's, it's important to recognize that there were 
a lot of adults being baptized because they were converting to Christianity. So it may have numerically been the case that the majority were adults, but that doesn't mean that children were not being baptized. See, we have this this, um, episode from the Acts of the Apostles um, that I'll I'll read here briefly um, that, that sort of points to this. So this is uh, in the Acts of the Apostles, and I've lost the citation for some reason, but I'll put it down in the show notes so you can go to exactly the right spot. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried aloud with, cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Men, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and was baptized at once with all his family." Um, so we have this link, uh, and there's there's some other examples too in the Acts of the Apostles where groups of people are being baptized and, and children are, are presumed to be among them. Um, another facet of baptism that I think is very often overlooked, I mean, I know in, in my own upbringing, like this, this idea just was like totally absent, is this link between baptism and death. Now I showed in our episode on the Old Testament links of baptism that there's a uh, the presence of water has this life-giving and death-causing property at one and the same time, right? Baptism is like that. It's like the way that water is in the Old Testament. It is a source of life, but it's also a source of death. And that's a very, I think, an uncomfortable image for a lot of people when we, when we talk about baptism. It's so, much, it's so much easier to keep it as a pristine sort of cutesy little ceremony you do with a kid and it's, you know, they get to wear a nice little white outfit and you have a white cake afterward and you take pictures and stuff. Uh, but in the New Testament, um, there's there's a little bit more, uh, there's, there's, there's an emphasis on death that, that's important not to overlook. So this is from um, St. Paul's letter to the Romans. If you go to Romans chapter 6, you'll see this. Um, so let's start reading here in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And listen to this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our former man was crucified with him so that the sinful body might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. All right. And that actually continues a little bit further, but you have St. Paul really hammering home this this image of baptism as a form of death. Um, And he identifies Christian life as being primarily about union with Christ, and baptism unites us to Christ in a very powerful way. And because we're united to Christ, it's not just about that new life, 
which Christ does offer, that union with Christ includes this element of death. There's a lot of times in which I think we, we, we've sanitized Christianity so much that when we talk about these, these images of death and, and suffering and stuff, people today can get like a little weirded out by it. I mean, a crucifix around your neck is like a very sort of sane kind of gentle image to a lot of people, but it's an instrument of torture, right? And, and why do we wear it? Because we believe that Jesus, through that torture, you know, won for us a victory and eternal life and everything, but but we're united to him, and that's going to include in some sort of way that same kind of suffering. So the union that we receive through baptism, Paul describes as a baptism into Christ's death, but it also includes the resurrection. So you don't merely get your, you know, you aren't merely united to Christ's death, you're also united to his resurrection. Baptism then for Paul is a death. What do we what's who's dying though? It's the sinful old self, the old man who dies in the waters of baptism. And this is one of the reasons, not the only reason, but maybe a better way to say it is this isn't the reason that baptism often was done by immersion, but it is a way that immersion makes clear what's happening in baptism. I think that's sort of a better way to say it. So the early Christian practice of baptism was primarily done by full immersion and in the nude, which I don't think a lot of people today would would really be excited about if that's how baptisms happen, but that that was the early practice. And so after rising up out of the waters, you were dressed in a white symbol, and, and that, that symbol of that was that you were putting on Christ Jesus. You were being clothed anew, but being plunged into the water, fully submersed in the water, was a very fitting image of death, right? And, and this is one of the reasons um, why some of the church fathers called baptism sort of a, a watery tomb. Um, and it makes it very real. Like you see someone going down into the water and water kills the old self. And at the same time, the spirit and water give birth to a new self. This is a quote from St. Basil the Great um, talking about this idea of the, the immersi- baptism by immersion or, or in the link with death. So he says, the image of death is fulfilled in the water and the spirit gives us the pledge of life. Therefore, it is clear why water is associated with the Spirit, because of baptism's dual purpose. On the one hand, the body of sin is destroyed, that it may never bear fruit for death. On the other hand, we are made to live by the Spirit and to bear fruit in holiness. I I love this sort of back and forth. The old body of sin is destroyed, so it can never bear fruit for death, and the new body of the Spirit will bear fruit in holiness. He continues, the water receives our body as a tomb, and so becomes the image of death, while the Spirit pours forth in life-giving power, renewing in souls which were dead in sin the life that they first possessed. This is what it means to be born again of water and Spirit. The water accomplishes our death while the Spirit raises us to new life. So this is a really, really powerful way of, of looking at baptism, and uh, I think it's a way that 
we don't tend to think too much about, you know, the link between baptism and death, but that's why we receive the white robe afterward. Um, and I think I've got, um, oh, it's, it's, I was thought let's say some comments that, that we could have on just, just the symbols in baptism, but I, I actually, that's something that would be a separate discussion. Oh, I will be here way too long if I try and go into that. So this link between death and life, death is what the water accomplishes, life is what the spirit accomplishes, but you don't have just water and just spirit. The, the spirit is in the water. Um, and so we see uh, in this, this quotation from St. Basil and from Paul's description, water bringing about death and new life, um, we, we see this, this powerful link, um, which, is, which is also present in the Old Testament. Um, and there's other ways in which the Old Testament links are, are, are operating here, right? Uh, in the Old Testament, the purpose of the liberation that the Israelites received was to worship and have communion with God. The sacrament of baptism liberates us from sin and death, but it's not just like we've gotten rid of sin and death. Now we're called to something, which is ultimately to the Eucharist, to receive the divine life within us. So baptism isn't just about getting free of something bad, namely original sin and death, but it's even more—I mean, that's part of it. That's a big part of it. But it's even more about where it leads us to union with God through all of the sacraments, and especially through the Eucharist. And we're liberated— in baptism, not just from death, but also from a slavery to sin. And so the liberation is not just to become free so you can sort of do whatever you want, but it's rather to receive the Spirit and then be free to live fidelity to Christ. Uh, to, so basically, it's not an empty freedom. It's a freedom for something. Um, and this is, this is why St. Paul says, "...you have now been set free from sin." and become slaves of God. The return you get is sanctification, and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul and the Christian tradition, we see this link between death and resurrection in baptism, but we also see this sort of, it doesn't make sense if you're not like already at least trying to live the Christian life, this liberation from one kind of slavery and the freedom to receive a new kind of slavery, slavery of righteousness, right? Which I know is, maybe that's not the best way to advertise baptism to someone who's, you know, without, from outside of the church, but when you've, you've started your Christian walk, you're really trying to live it as a disciple, that, that thing is, is, is really key. Um, so one last thing to look at in the New Testament, and again, obviously there's, there's other things we could have discussed, but it's the, the Great Commission um, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. It's also in Mark's Gospel. So this is Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the close of the age. So something critical about baptism is it's not just some, a, a gift for us to receive, but it's also a calling for us to go and share with others. Um, I had a, a Irish priest in Mississippi 
Um, I was in the, the Diocese of Jackson, Mississippi as a, as a kid, and almost, I mean, the great majority of the priests there are, are, are Irish. Um, so I had a father, P.J. Curley, who was my pastor for a long time, um, who used to say very famously, uh, not to keep the faith. So he would say, don't keep the faith, because some people, that's like a thing people say. You know, we have phrases that we say, you know, keep the faith. And he would say, don't keep the faith, share it. And that's that's a, a really good image here of the, of the Great Commission. So we've received baptism. Now we're called to, as disciples, go and do likewise, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. And that's not possible unless we first understand the gift that we're receiving in baptism, the freedom that it generates within us, and where it calls us to live a life of holiness. So baptism, um, and this is something I think we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about in some of, some of the other episodes that we want to do, baptism is not just something that happens one day and it's on your baptism certificate. It's something that points forward to what the rest of your life is supposed to look like. And the rest of your life is supposed to look like Christ's life. Oh, my felt my cell phone. Had it on Do Not Disturb, but that doesn't deal with alarms. Shoot. That's never happened. And why do I have an alarm at 3.40 p.m.? <laughs> this is actually kind of funny. <laughs> Man, I was so close. I was wrapping it up there. Yeah, you were. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where is even. I can even go back. Dang it. Much more work for Mark now. Well, okay. Why don't you just kind of? Uh, I should probably. What were you gonna say? Uh, um, you can just kind of do just do your best. So let's give it like three or four seconds of silence, and okay. then because you were you were transitioning into a close. Yeah. So just kind of we'll do a hard stop, and he can kind of. Okay cut it where I'll he needs pick to cut up it with yeah so i was on this theme of the great commission okay um, and i mean i have it in my notes that like that's where i i know i was in this section yeah um so shoot <laughs> that's okay let's give it just a couple seconds of silence and then just pick up and yeah mark can mark is good at th these things yeah okay <laughs> okay great all right So this is why it's really important for us when we're thinking about baptism to, to realize that baptism's not merely a date. You know, you have a baptism certificate and it says when you were baptized. It's, it's actually a calling on us. So it is a liberation, sets us free from original sin and all that, but it also marks a new beginning and it really points out what our destiny looks like and what our future looks like. And so this notion of discipleship that is... Some, some, in some ways, it's like, uh, a like an edgy thing to talk about. Like, oh yeah, we're as Catholics, we're finally talking about discipleship. Um, it's sort of embarrassing that it's a, uh, may maybe it is like a trendy thing. Like, why did it have to go away and then become a trend? It's really present here in the Great Commission. Jesus is saying, "Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit." This is what we're all called to by our baptism. This is why Saint John Paul II said. Anyone who has been baptized is called to be missionary. So I hope you've enjoyed this discussion here about the New Testament and the way that it presents baptism. Um, and stick around as we're going to explore in future episodes some of the theology and development of the sacrament itself. Thanks. <laughs>